I never thought I'd be working for myself. Well, not exactly myself. My friend's the one who started the business, and he offered me a job out of the blue about a week ago. I told him I was doing alright down at the gas station, which was a lie, but I kind of didn't want him to know how desperately I wanted out. But more importantly, I knew I didn't have anything to contribute to his business. I knew he was a tech guy. I never finished high school. Not a good mix, I would think, given the fact that seems to be what everybody else seems to think. But he told me over and over again that it didn't matter. He'd set me up with something that fit me and I wouldn't have to worry about a thing. I reminded him repeatedly of my lack of discernible skill in this area, and he told me not to worry about it. Said he'd gotten some investor on board who's throwing close to a million into the thing. I was like, Jesus! And he just stared at me with those wide eyes and sly smirk. He knew how to work his way around a lender, I guess. Regardless, he said I'd have a reserved parking space right by the door, which happened to be in a 50-story building in the heart of the city. We're on the 49th floor, he said, like he was telling me he owned a football team. Ah, so I bet we're off the charts in the directory. Nah, my friend went on. Won't need to check the directory. As we speak, I'm having a crew hang a gigantic stainless steel sign right against the outside of our office windows. It's about 70 foot across and weighs a freaking ton. I mean literally, it weighs a ton. But if all goes according to plan, you'll be able to read our sign from the interstate. Good God was my friend full of himself. But he often was. He was just like that. And I guess that brash attitude is probably to think for all of his bizarre successes. This ain't the first time he's approached me with some grand opportunity. They tended to not be this big, sure, but they were always real. He told me to come into work on Monday, which was about a week. So, as perhaps some of you could relate, the night before I was just terrified, quite frankly. I wasn't scared of anything in particular, it's just one of those things. When I'm starting a new job, I'm gonna feel on the verge of a panic attack for a few days prior and probably after. That's just the way it is for me. And to those who don't experience what I just described, congratulations. I have the alarm set for 7, to be into the office by 7.30. Got the shower out of the way around midnight, so I don't have to worry about that in the morning. I can just pop out of bed, shove a couple toaster pastries down my throat, slide into my clothes, and be in the car before 7.15. Then I should arrive right on time, or maybe a minute before. It took me a while, but I'd say I was probably asleep around 3 in the morning. I had been tossing and turning for a few hours prior, you see. Now... I really hadn't dreamt since I was in my early teens, and even then, they were just some of the worst nightmares I had ever had. And if not that, then they were just boring as hell. So, imagine my surprise when I suddenly found myself sitting in front of a television set, watching an old episode of I Love Lucy. Or at least, I thought it was, but as I watched, I realized there was no Lucy, and there was no Ricky. In fact, it 
didn't even look like the same set they used on the show. I concentrated to understand what I was watching and began to put together what I could observe. One thing was for sure. This was some sort of old, black-and-white sitcom from what looked like the 50s. It had that old, orchestral, faux, wholesome, small-town-that-doesn't-exist essence to it, and there seemed to be two main characters. One was a teenage boy, who looked a little bit like a straight-laced Billy the Kid or something, and I'm really basing that only on the one image I've seen of that guy, so might not be the most accurate, but it's the comparison that comes to mind. And then there was this woman, who I inferred to be his mother. She was on the shorter side, a little stocky, kind of reminded me of that one character on that 70s show if she were a lot older and shorter. Not one of the main characters, it was uh, one of the side ones. Didn't appear in many episodes. Yeah, well, either way, it was an older woman who wore a blue dress. And they were in the living room. The boy sat on the couch, one leg propped up on a footrest, his mother busy in the kitchen scrubbing something down in the sink. The living room appeared to be of a typical 1950s middle-class aesthetic. A rocking chair to the left of the couch, the front door in the background beside a window, a chandelier above the dining table. Not much to note. Now, by the remote in the boy's hand and the way he was staring mindlessly before him with that glazed-over kind of look to him, I could tell he was absorbed in television. It then occurred to me that neither of them had spoken for this entire time. Had they really not said a word for the entire time I was scanning the screen? And just then, the boy spoke up. Look, Ma, it's Captain Tasty! The boy pointed to the screen, and his mom just shook her head in the background. Oh, Billy, it's not good of you to crave so easily for what's put in front of you. Billy looked down, ashamed and in a show of deep thought. But the camera pans over to the mom, who's holding something behind her back. No, Billy, it's not good at all. Because you already have Captain Tasty! She swings the box, which is now a close-up on the screen, around to her front. Billy then jumped up in joy to an enormous orchestral swell, and he pranced over to his mother, jumping into her arms as she spun him around as the lovely, exciting, and heartfelt music told the viewer that this was normal. Oh, Ma, I knew you wouldn't say something like that about something so important. They giggled. Now you are just too smart, aren't you, Billy? Now, go brush your teeth so you can eat some Captain Tasties real quick, and then right off to bed. The teenage boy, who was acting strangely like someone more in the age realm of 9 or 10, if that, stood up straight and saluted toward his mother like a soldier. Yes, ma'am! An orchestral melody swelled and the screen faded to black. Just a second later, as though the commercial break was already over, the music swelled back in, and I found the shot to be looking over the boy now tucked into bed, his mother sitting in a little rocking chair to his side. Both of them are in plain view, and lit well enough thanks to a lamp on the nightstand in between them. 
eerie shadows dominate the room. Why do I gotta go to sleep, Ma? The boy asked, as some weird, somber yet wholesome notes played behind his voice. You sleep so you can see what is real, she said, leaning over to give him a couple of superficial tucks of the sheets and then gave him a little peck of a kiss right on his forehead. Good night, son. Good night, Ma. And then the screen faded to black. I didn't let my gaze leave for fear it'd be back within a second, but I stared and stared and after well over 60 seconds, I suddenly realized I wasn't looking at a black television screen at all, but a night sky out of an open window. Something about realizing this sudden transition took place without my awareness sent a wave of adrenaline through my veins and I immediately turned around and began scanning the room. Where the hell am I? I thought, as I began to breathe frantically. It was dark, very dark, but through the light from the moon and stars outside, I could tell it was not my apartment. And then I heard a sound right outside of what I could make out as a doorframe. Who's there? Who the hell's there? I shouted, fighting hard against my vocal cord strain. I was unconsciously moving away from the door where my shoulder hit the wall. And then, somehow, I didn't see it, but I just knew that there was a light switch somewhere to my right. My hand padded frantically against the cold drywall, until sure enough, I hit a switch. The light suddenly came on, and I found myself staring at something impossible. A little race car bed frame in the corner, right across from a big tower of wooden toy blocks, and a little Game Boy on the ground. The spitting image of the room I had when I was... God, I couldn't have been older than six for sure. How is this? And then I suddenly realized... The reality came crashing down on me like a ton of bricks. This was clearly a dream. Not real in the slightest. That explains that weird show, too. I actually belted laughter out across the newly lit room. Oh boy, this'll be a story to mention around the water cooler tomorrow. They're gonna have a water cooler, right? Well, after realizing this, my mind went directly from the water cooler to, I gotta wake up. So I did what I've heard people say you can do online, and closed my eyes, telling myself that when I opened them, I'd be awake in my bed. Squeezed my eyelids tight, and opened, and I was still there. Did it again, and same thing. Huh. I'd never been in this situation before, knowing that I'm dreaming while I'm dreaming. I walked up to my old bedsheets and took them in my hand. The way the blanket held slack and flowed and the feel of the fabric's texture against my hands, I actually felt goosebumps start to cover my flesh. This is impossible, 
I thought to myself. I knew this was a dream, it had to be. But good God, if it was, it was realer than real life. I felt a pit drop in my stomach, and without thought, dropped the sheet and walked very quickly out of the doorway into what I didn't realize until then was a well-lit living room. Though it didn't look as much like my living room when I was a boy, at least not to my memory. It looked pretty barren, almost just like a bunch of white walls and some hardwood flooring. But there was one thing. I noticed the air vent in the floor right by the wall. The side of this little metal vent poking out from the floor just sent a wave of knowing through me, remembering more like it. I was hit with memories of whispering into the vent to my imaginary friend, Clammy. He was a clam, but he had little arms and legs and his face was near the top of his shell, which itself was suspended sideways like it was its torso. Kind of like a stick figure with a clamshell for a body, and no extra head. Pretty weird image, I know, but I was a weird little kid. I hadn't thought about Clammy since, well probably since I was that young. Wow. I felt so much closer to my childhood than I had in years. I walked over and sat beside the vent. Just for fun, I leaned over and whispered, Hey, Clammy, how you been? Not really expecting much. But then again, maybe I did. Maybe I did expect something. It's hard to tell because before I knew it, the metal vent grate popped off as a rush of bright white sparkling light came rushing out like a flow of anti-gravitational water running rampant streams through the air before collecting into one giant pearl of glowing white light that began pulsing all manner of blues and greens and pinks and purples. And then suddenly, the white ball of light faded into... No, it can't be. Where the ball of light hovered, now stood Clammy. I've been quite fine, Johnny. We've missed you. It's been so long. The being belted out. And I just felt this overwhelming feeling of joy radiate from him to me. It was the most amazing feeling, to be honest. I hadn't felt such pure, uncontaminated acceptance and love in... I don't even know how long. But it was just then, I suddenly heard a loud, high-pitched tone. And then it went off. But there it is again. It kept coming on and off like that, and I strained to understand what it was. It then suddenly hit me that it was obviously my alarm clock. It must be seven already. I would have guessed I'd been asleep no more than 30 minutes. I, I guess time flies, especially in sleep, but if that's my alarm clock going off right now, then why am I not waking up? By the time my attention made its way back to Clammy, he wasn't quite as joyous. Not to say he wasn't, it just wasn't as overwhelming. I didn't necessarily want to go yet, not with Clammy right here, but I knew I had to get going. 
Say, Clammy, I've got to get up for work. Big day tomorrow. Could you help me out? Clammy seemed to smile a little harder and responded almost immediately. I wish I could, but it just isn't the time. I stared at him, waiting to see if he was joking or not. Do dreams joke around? I wasn't sure, but it sure seemed like an odd response from what I had always assumed was my own unconscious mind. A few moments passed before I said, What, am I in too deep asleep? Nope, it responded happily. It's just not time for you to awaken. Well, why not? I asked, feeling more impatient by the moment. Because the time to awake is 7.30, it said so matter-of-factly, I almost laughed in response. No, 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 I tried to correct. No, it's not my wake-up time that's 7.30. It's the time I gotta be there. My alarm's set for 7 o'clock in the morning. It's going off right now. Don't you hear it? I gotta get around. Clammy just giggled in response before prancing off into my old bedroom out of sight. Clammy, wait a second. Clammy! I followed his steps into the room. He was standing at the window I'd been stargazing from when I realized I wasn't watching that TV anymore. Though it was like the window had doubled its width from the time I walked into the living room. There was now enough space to perfectly fit both me and Clammy up against the open window frame. I joined him there to see what he was staring at. I gazed out across the beautiful sea of stars and galaxies. What you staring at? I asked bluntly, quite agitated to wake up, but also aware this was quite out of my control at this point. That right there, he said, and right as he said it, one of the hundreds of thousands of visible stars in the sky lit up to the brightness of a headlight. It then faded back down. Oh, wow, I said, quite impressed to be honest. That is a pretty one. You from there? I asked sarcastically. Nah, Clammy spoke, as if deep in thought. But I know some lovely ones who are. He belted out in a surge of energy. I just couldn't help myself. What do you mean? You know some people who live up there? I asked incredulously. I felt like he was trying to waste my time or something. He just started giggling over and over again, punctured by the word, Simple. Simple. When I turned my head back to the left to give Clammy the good old death stare, yeah, that'll do the trick, I suddenly realized we were no longer in my old room. And we weren't even standing. I found us now sitting on the edge of a cliff at the top of a very tall mountain. Peaks and valleys of green punctured with beautiful river streams glittered in the moonlight above the celestial vistas. I gasped at the beauty of it. 
Jesus, Clammy. Where are we? Clammy just swung his noodly little legs around, clearly quite enjoying himself as he continued his gaze off into the sky. Oh, come on, you've been here before. You remember? I stared intently at what I could see before me. I really soaked it in. And I can say for certain that I have never in my life even been anywhere that looked remotely like this. I'm ashamed to say I've not even laid eyes on a single mountain in my life. I was always a small-town guy living in the flatlands. And when I got to the city, it was still flat as hell. This... This was as foreign as it could possibly be. Listen, uh, I'm sure you know your stuff, but I know for a fact I've never been here before in my life. And without skipping a beat, Clammy replied, Well, sure, not in this life. He belted out in such raw energy before turning back towards the stars. He continued giggling and mumbling to himself, only making out the words, Silly, silly, a couple of times. The alarm clock back in Waking Life had been continuing its blare throughout all of this, though when my focus was on anything else, it seemed to dim in volume substantially. But it kept grabbing my attention. <sighs> Listen. Clammy, we go way back. I'm just asking you to please help me wake up right now. It's really important I get up as soon as possible. My imaginary... Imaginary? Friend, continued gazing towards the stars as he said matter-of-factly. Oh, it doesn't matter. And that made me lose it a little. It does too matter, I shouted back. That's what I've been telling you this whole time. Why don't you understand this? Am I not getting something? Clammy turned towards me and stared at me with the most serious face I'd seen on him all night. And, I guess, ever. After a moment, he just said, Oh, I see. It's not that you don't get it. And it's not that you really don't get it. It's that you really, really don't get it. And then he began giggling some more as he returned to the sky. I continued staring at him, frozen in place. Slowly shaking my head in silence, I just looked back up to the stars. They were beautiful. You know... When you live in the city, you can't see a fraction of the stars, all the light pollution. But here, it was like you could see everything. Did I say thousands of stars earlier? I think it might be millions. No, hundreds of millions. Billions? Jesus, how is that possible? The artwork of the universe seemed to flow like a river of glittering crystal. My god, how did it get so... Let's see if you can get this. Clammy suddenly spoke. And if you solve the riddle, 
You can go where you please. I broke my gaze from the beauty that surrounded us and gave him what I can say for pretty certain was a look of serious annoyance. This seemed to grow his smile just a bit wider. Now, here's the riddle. What is the name of everything in the universe and everything outside of the universe? I rolled my eyes back up to the stars as I mumbled under my breath. Oh, God. But at that very second, the stars before my eyes began to multiply rapidly to the point where there was much more light in the sky than darkness. And just a second later, the light was blinding. I tried to look away, but the intensity was like that of the sun. I could see nothing else. I tried to shout to Clammy for help to suddenly discover I could not speak. No sounds came out. A rush of terror met me in the core of what I could feel, and then suddenly the sound of that blaring alarm clock that had been quiet in the background for some time began to get louder and louder and louder, along with the brightness of the light's diminishing fade. After maybe a minute, I saw only darkness, and then I noticed the feeling of a slight draft on my face. An attempt to open my eyes found me right back in my bed, staring up at the ceiling fan whizzing away at blurry speed. The sun was bright outside the window to my left, and before I could process a single thought, my neck craned to the side to find my alarm clock screaming at me for attention. The time read 7.30 a.m. Damn it, I screeched, jumping out of bed in a flash, trying to yank a shirt off one of the hangers in my closet as I fed a leg into some pants. By the time I was in my car, shoving a toaster pastry down my throat, it was already 7.37. To be late on the first day of a job I'm lucky to even have is not gonna look good. I could think of nothing else, just replaying the same, damn it, damn it, damn it, over and over again as I drove as fast as I could down the freeway. But as I pulled in, I found a strange sight. A crowd of people, some looking like they probably worked somewhere in the office complex, but others looking like reporters, and some like police. There was an ambulance and a few fire trucks scattered at the perimeter of the road. I couldn't even get up to my reserved space, so I just parked on the side of the road. Getting closer to the building, I realized whatever the crowd was surrounding was centered near the front of the building. Whatever was going on, perhaps this was my lucky break, because there's a chance my friend won't even notice I was late. I figured he might be somewhere in the large group of people. So, my plan was to sneak around and slip into the building while everyone was distracted by whatever the hell happened here. But as I rounded the corner onto the sidewalk that led straight past the front of the parking lot and into the front office, I froze like a statue at the sight I found before me. To my right, 
there was a string of about four reserved parking spaces. The one furthest from me was for my aforementioned friend. The one right beside was mine, somehow. And then the other two were for some other guys he got in on the business. Well, my car was the only one not parked in its special spot. And so it was also the only one not destroyed. It took me a few seconds to register the site before me, but when I did, I began walking forward closer to the disaster without even thinking. A gigantic, what looked like a thick stainless steel monolith was half lying atop those three piles of wreckage and debris that barely even looked like they could have been automobiles and the other half was wedged deep into the cracked asphalt like it was no more than topsoil. The crowd was standing around mumbling, a bunch of people holding their mouths shut. As I got closer, I verified what I already knew. When I looked at the one empty parking space between the three annihilated vehicles, I found printed on the sign now bent and crushed under the weight of the death, my name. And apparently my title was going to be Senior Consultant Coordinator. Huh. I looked up towards the wreckage that I recognized must have previously been my friend's car, based off of the familiar black color, and... Wait a second. Is that... A deep velvet red color screamed out at me from within the innards of the car that I could see. I tried to squint, but I could make out nothing but the shade. I no sooner began to walk towards the specific wreckage before someone grabbed my arm. I looked to the left to find an officer. You don't want to see that, sir. They made me and everyone else get further back. I just sat down on the sidewalk and stared at an anthill born from a colony that sprung up in the crack between the asphalt and the sidewalk. Eventually, someone barked my name from behind. I gave a lazy look over my shoulder to see some big husky fella in a three-piece suit walking towards me. I nodded in acknowledgement and went back to the anthill. I felt numb. The name's Shadwick, the man spoke, extending a hand to my hunched-over mass like he thought we had a scheduled business meeting. After a few seconds, he rescinded his hand, slipping it into the pocket of his black suit jacket. I'm sure the owner mentioned me. I'm the investor. What a shame. He pulled something out of his pocket. Heard the flick of a match. I was just staring down at the anthill. Clouds had rolled in in the hour before, and it was starting to drizzle. Poor ants, I thought. I hope they get inside on time. I saw it happen, 
I think I might have been the only one to see it happen. He snapped at me. I felt my eyes twitch over in his direction hesitantly, but I didn't move my head. He couldn't have noticed. Yeah. The other boys had already gone inside. The owner, um, Donnie, Dongo, Drake? I blurted out in frank offense. Yes, Drake. He was, uh, he was listening to something in his car. I was watching him, as he was just bopping up and down like a madman in there. Whatever he was listening to. And then, it was like I didn't even see the thing falling. It was just not there one moment. Normal cars, normal day, normal everything. And the next second, there was this eardrum-splitting boom, and before my eyes were the remains. It happened in an instant. No pain, don't think. My eyes were closed. I couldn't hold them open anymore. I felt like I was going to pass out. Now, uh, the thing is, the man went on after a brief moment of silence. That's not why I need to meet with you. When that steel sign fell, I took a look at my wristwatch to find it was 729 on the dot. Now, Drake was there, and the two other fellows were there, but you weren't there. And you weren't there a minute later either, so you're late. And I just can't be working with undependables. I'm sure you can understand. He patted me on the back, and despite the deep, dark numbness flowing through me, I couldn't help but notice the giggles beginning to rattle through my throat. Thank you all for listening to tonight's original episode of Clancy Pasta. This was another story written by me. Uh, I've kind of been in the habit of just writing all of these stories recently, and I like it. I uh, it feels uh, it feels right. I guess is is the way of wording it. Huge thanks to all of my supporters on Patreon as well as YouTube members. If you'd like to support the show, get ad-free narrations. You can go to Patreon.com/ClancyPasta. And in fact, now is the time for me to thank out loud all of the $5 and up patrons on Patreon. So huge thanks to Carlos A, Tim W, Downey Dolphin, Zion A, Skylar May Morningstar, Blue Studios, David L, Uma Manic, Folor, Lydia P, Ref, Gabriel B, Jared B, Anklamania, and Dweller. Thank you so much, $5 and up patrons, uh, for supporting me, helping me to continue this podcast. If you're listening on YouTube, please subscribe. If you're listening on a podcast platform, please follow or the equivalent of whatever the follow is. You can follow me on Instagram at ClancyPasta. And uh, yeah, just thank you all for listening. Let me know what you thought of tonight's tale in the description below. And I will see you all very, very soon. 
Have a great night. Cheers.